So let me start by saying, uh, and let me make this uh, crystal clear for today and for this entire series. I believe, I wholeheartedly, 100% believe in the miracle working power of God. I believe the Holy Spirit is still alive and active and moving in the hearts and lives of people. I believe the same Spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead dwells in our mortal bodies because the Bible tells us He does. And that same Holy Spirit gives gifts, moves in supernatural ways through people. I believe that. I have seen miracles. I have heard prophetic words. I have been used by God in incredible ways personally. and, And people have been used by God in my life in incredibly powerful ways. I believe in all that. But there are also those times when we pray, when we cry out to God, when we ask him to move, to heal, to restore, and he doesn't. And in those moments, it's easy to say, where is God? I need you now in this moment to do something miraculous And we seem to be met by silence. I know I've experienced that. Is anyone else? Where you say, God, where where are you? And then we hear the stories, the miraculous stories, the amazing stories, people that we know, people that are friends, people in the church about how God restored a marriage, provided financially, did something miraculous, healed, did, did a great move. And we say, God did it in their life, but he didn't do it In my life, where was God when I needed him most? And we cry out and we seem to be met with silence. We wonder if God even hears. And because it's silent and because we wonder if he hears, we wonder if he's even near or if he's distant and he's left us. So let me start by saying this, and this is very important. You need to know this. Just because you may not hear God, it doesn't mean God doesn't hear you. God hears your prayers. The Bible tells us that our tears, the tears of the saints, those that that love the Lord, when we cry out and we shed tears, when we cry out our needs to God and it moves us to that deep emotional part, it says he gathers up our tears. So God hears your prayers. You may not hear God, but it doesn't mean that God doesn't hear you. And also I want you to know this. If you, do not feel God, if you do not feel God's presence, it does not mean he is not present. You may not feel God's presence, but we don't base our faith on what we feel. We base it on the truth of God's word. And what we're going to learn today is God is ever present. He's closer than a brother. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He walks with us through and through and through all of life. Now, in, the, in biblical history and outside of biblical history, we can hear story after story after story about the supernatural times when God moves, but we can also find story after story after story where God seems to not answer, to not respond, to almost be distant in the moment when we need him most. So I want to look this morning at a guy in the Bible who went through an experience like this. Um, this guy is a relative of Jesus. He's related to him. He's probably what we would call a second or third cousin. His name is John. Now, John and Jesus are related. John's mother is Elizabeth. Jesus' earthly mother is a woman named Mary. Mary and Elizabeth are cousins. 
There's a big age gap between Mary and Elizabeth. We don't know exactly how big, but it's a substantial age gap. So they were probably second or third cousins, which again, would make Jesus and John relatives, called cousins in the Bible, but not first cousins, distant cousins. But they're actually very close in age. They're about six months apart. John is about six months older than Jesus. And John is filled with the Holy Spirit. He is called by God to be a prophet. His, his calling by God is to make straight, make uh, prepare the way of, for the Lord, to prepare the way for Jesus. So he's used in miraculous ways, and the people love John. I mean, they think John is the bomb. I mean, John, now John's a strange dude. He's walking around wearing camel skins and eating honey and locusts. And, but man, why they loved him was because of that. Not because he was strange, but because he wasn't flashy. He, he lived a modest life. He was called by God. His father had a high position, but he, he lived a modest life. And more than that, John, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he stood for truth. He wouldn't back down. He stood for truth. He proclaimed truth. He went where God asked him to go. He said what God asked him to say, and he did what God asked him to do. He lived a radical life, and if you were living in a way that was contrary to what God asked, he would call you out on it. I mean, his, his great hallmark statement in his ministry was, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. He lived a radical life, and the people loved him, but the people he called out didn't like him so much. And that radical life is what got him into some trouble. So let me give you some background. John um, is living in a time where uh, the nation of Israel is not a free nation. They are under Roman uh, rule. The Roman Empire controls that entire region. <clears throat> but what Caesar would do, what he would set up figurehead leaders. When I say figurehead, they, they were leaders, but they reported to Rome and they had to follow Rome's edicts. One of the uh, most well-known leaders in that time was a man named Herod the Great. Herod the Great was given the title by Caesar of king. So he was known as King Herod, Herod the Great. The reason he was called great is because he was, from an engineering perspective, he was brilliant. He built some amazing structures and things during his, his time leading that area. Um, but Herod was, was not a nice man. He's the one that was reigning and ruling when Jesus was born. If you remember the story, uh, when, the, when the, uh, the Magi come from the east and, and they report to Herod that the king of the Jews has been born and he has all the, the little kids, all the boys three years and younger slaughtered, the, 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 the slaughter of the innocents, that's King Herod. So when King Herod dies, he leaves instructions. Now, again, it, Caesar has to agree to this. Rome has to agree to this. But for the most part, they, they go along with it. And so when Herod the Great dies, he says, I want my territory that I ruled to be split primarily between two of my sons. It was, there was another part that was handed off to a third son, but I want it split between two of my sons. Now, Herod had a lot of sons, um, and most of them were not um, full-blooded uh, brothers. They were half-brothers. He, he would marry someone, have a child, uh, often just leave her, divorce her, or uh, frequently have the woman murdered, uh, put to death, executed, and then marry someone else. He was a great guy. Um, <clears throat> so on his death, he has uh, his territory. He says, I want it split between two of my sons, and Caesar agrees. So it's split between these two men. One is known as Herod Antipas. 
The other is Herod Archelaus. So in the Bible, you read all these different Herods, and, and it's because Herod the Great had a big ego, so he wanted all his kids to be named after him. So Herod Antipas and Herod Archelaus, and the, the region is split. Neither of them are actually given the title uh, king by Caesar. Caesar gives them the title Tetrarch. He doesn't give them the title king, but informally, in that area, they're known as king. So King Herod Antipas and King Herod Archelaus. Archelaus oversees the area of Judea, Samaria, and Idume, and Antipas oversees the area of the Galilee and Perea. And so the story that we're going to talk about is about Herod Antipas. But the reason why I give you that background is because sometimes we read the Bible and we go, I don't even know which Herod we're talking about. So we're talking about Herod Antipas, um, and John is on the scene and John is preaching the message. And again, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't back down. And he finds out uh, that there's a scandal in Herod Antipas's life. See, Herod was married, and he decided he didn't want to be married anymore. So unlike his father, he doesn't have his wife murdered. He just divorces her, which isn't really a great thing. But the reason he divorces her is he wants to marry uh, a different woman, a woman who's married to his brother, not Herod Archelaus, a different brother, a brother named Philip. He wants to marry Philip's wife. Her name is Herodias. Herodias doesn't want to divorce Philip because if she leaves Philip, if she divorces him, she loses all of the connections, all of the power, all of the, the privilege that goes with being his wife. So what she does is she says, I'll marry Herod Antipas, but I'm going to stay married to Philip. So we have adultery. And beyond that, Herodias is also Herod Antipas's niece. So it's adultery and it's incestuous. There, there's incest happening there. So all of a sudden you have this man who's married to his brother's wife, who's his niece, and it's a scandal. I mean, it makes the, the, the monarchs in Britain today look tame, right? So, so you've got this happening, and John, who doesn't back down to anything, says, hey, uh, this is not cool, this is not good, this goes against the ways that God would have us to live, and he begins to call them out. And neither of them like it, but Herodias gets really mad. She, she gets angry. She wants John silenced. She wants John put to death. But Herod is unwilling to put him to death. He fears the people. He thinks John might be a prophet, and so he doesn't really want to do anything that might upset God. So he comes up with a plan. I'm just going to throw him in jail. That's where we pick up the story in Mark chapter 6. Herod himself gave orders to have John arrested, and he had him bound and put in prison. He did this because Herodias, his brother's wife, whom he had married, for John had been saying... To Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. So Herodias nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Now, here's John. He's known as John the Baptist. He's Jesus' cousin. John has lived a life with an anointing. He's filled with the Holy Spirit before he's even born. And here he is serving Jesus faithfully. He's the one that baptized Jesus at the River Jordan. It's one of the reasons he's known as John the Baptist. He's, he declares of Jesus, I'm not even worthy to untie the strap on your sandal. He says to other people, I have to decrease so that Jesus might increase. He's pointing everyone to Jesus. He's standing for truth. He's living for righteousness. And what's the payoff? You get thrown in jail. So he's thrown in jail, and there he is waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting to get out. 
He's hoping, but he's thinking, hey, I'm in jail. Someone's gonna come visit me. I don't know, maybe my cousin. Maybe Jesus will come visit me. So he does get visitors. Here's what it says in Matthew. It says, while John was in prison, he heard what Jesus, what Christ was doing, what the Messiah, what the anointed one was doing. How did he hear? He didn't have a newspaper. He didn't turn on the news and watch it. He heard because his friends came and said, you've got to hear what Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing amazing things. He's doing incredible things. And if I'm John, I start thinking, whoa, if Jesus is doing these miraculous things for other people, he's going to do something miraculous for me. He's going to somehow get me out of here. He's going to send an angel. At the very least, Jesus, who's traveling all around, telling people all about God's goodness, will at least come and visit me. But Jesus doesn't come and visit John. Jesus, the the Bible never tells us once that Jesus went and visited his cousin in prison. And so as John is sitting there waiting in prison, he begins to have a crisis of faith. And I don't think it's so far removed from how you and I would feel. I've served God. I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've lived for Jesus. I go to church. I give. I tithe. I, I read the Bible. I pray. I, I try to put God first in everything and point people to Jesus. And this is what happens. And I don't understand this. See, we call him John the Baptist, but he was a regular person. And he begins to have this crisis of faith. So he says to his friends, I need to, I need to ask Jesus a question. So go and ask him this. So he sent some of his followers to ask Jesus, are you the one we should be looking for? Or must we wait for someone else? So here he is. He's in prison. He's hearing all these things that Jesus is doing. Jesus is doing miracles for other people. He is healing strangers. He is setting the captives free. And yet here's John who served him, loved him, knew him. And Jesus isn't doing anything for him. And he says, now, I thought you were the one. I believed you were the one. I declared you were the one. But maybe I was wrong because if you're the one, how come you're not doing the things that I think you ought to be doing? How come you're not acting the way I think you ought to be acting? How come you're not moving in my life the way you're moving in other people's lives? I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense. Have I missed something? And we can feel the same way, can't we? God, you did a miracle in their life. God, you healed them. God, you provided supernaturally. God, you restored their marriage. God, you repaired that relationship. God, you provided a great job for them. They have a wonderful home. They have a great marriage. What about me? Have I missed this? Maybe you're not who I thought you were. I mean, don't we feel like that sometimes? God, you're not even coming to visit me. Where are you? You just seem distant, crying out in this moment of need, and I get nothing. So what is Jesus' response? Jesus, he doesn't say, hey, listen, go tell John, yes, 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 I'm the one. You know I'm the one. Stop. I'm the one, and just hold on. Give me about five minutes. We're going to get you out. I got a whole plan. We're getting you out of there. It's going to be awesome. We're going to write a story about this, and 2,000 years from now, people are going to be like, you got to read this story. It's amazing. No, Jesus doesn't say that. This is what Jesus says. Jesus answered, go and tell John what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are healed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the poor have the good news preached to them. 
And then he says this statement. It's provocative, and it almost sounds like a little slap down on John. It can seem harsh. He says, blessed is the one who does not reject me because of what I do. It can sound like he's kind of saying, John, what's the matter with you, man? But he's not. What he's saying is, John, listen, 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 listen. I'm doing all these things. Isn't this incredible? Isn't this what you wanted to see happen? The blind to see, the deaf to hear, the lame to walk, the dead to live, the poor to know that this isn't the end. That's what you wanted. That's what you longed for. That's what you prepared the way for, for me to come and do that. And now just because I'm not doing what you want me to do in your life, don't let go of your faith. Don't let go of what you know to be true. Just because I'm doing something for someone else and not doing it for you, you don't like what I'm doing for them because I'm not doing it for you. Don't lose your faith. Listen to me. This is what Jesus is saying. That we need to hold on to Jesus even when he does not do what you think he should do. But he's doing it for other people, right? He's not doing it for me. Yeah, you think he should do it for you and he's not doing it for you, but hold on to him. Don't reject him. Don't lose your faith. Some translations say, blessed is the one who doesn't stumble on account of me. Don't, don't lose what you know to be true just because you're not getting what you want. And that is so, so, so incredibly difficult because we go through something and we say, God, this is the way it should work. This is the way it should be. Why don't you move in my life this way? This is what I need in this moment. Listen to me. There are times when God does. And when he does, praise God. But there are times when he doesn't. So Jesus never goes to visit John. Jesus doesn't say, hang on there. I'm going to send a miracle and get you out. Jesus simply says, go tell John not to let go of his faith. Hold on to me. Hold on to what he knows to be true. And then Jesus goes on with his ministry. Jesus goes on healing other people, doing miracles for other people, helping strangers. And John goes on waiting in prison. Until this. Herod gave a banquet for his high officials. It's his birthday, so he wants to throw a party. He gave a banquet for his military officials, the leading men of Galilee. And when the daughter of Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod. The king said to the girl, ask me for anything you want and I'll give it to you. She went now and asked her mother, what should I ask for? Ask for the head of John the Baptist, she said. The king was greatly distressed because of his oaths and his dinner guests. He would not refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. So here's this girl. She comes. This is not the girl's dance team at church. I don't know what kind of dance it is, but it's not that. I mean, whatever it was, he's like, nah, whoa, you tell me what you want. A different part of the Bible, it says, he says, I'll give you anything up to half my kingdom. So this girl says, I want to make this count. I want this to be a good request. I don't want to waste it. So she does what would seemingly be a smart thing. She asks her mom, what should I ask for? Mom, who's so vindictive, so full of hate and anger, holding this grudge, doesn't say, listen, get something that's gonna benefit you. She says, get something that's gonna benefit me. Ask John to, for John to be put to death. Off with his head. Be done with him. Now, listen, this is when the story is supposed to get good. Right? I mean, this is Jesus' cousin, 
This is, this is the man who's called with the same anointing as Elijah to prepare the way. He is, he is carrying this awesome anointing. And all of a sudden, Herod says, go send the executioner. And Jesus says, now, an earthquake. Send an earthquake. Send an angel with a flaming sword. Have the shackles fall off and the, and the jail gates swing open. I mean, that's what we expect to happen. Because that's how Christianity is supposed to work. We do everything we're supposed to do. And when we're sick, we get healed. And when we lose our job, we get a better one. And really, we're not supposed to get sick and we're not supposed to lose our job. And we're always supposed to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. But if those bad things happen, then in the moment of that, of that everything's hanging is when God is going to come through. I mean, he's done it before, right? He shut the mouth of lions. He made fire that wouldn't consume them. He allowed the, the plans that were going to destroy the Jews to be uncovered. And, and he's done all these great things. He's going to do it for John. John is waiting for that miracle moment. And here's what John gets. The man showed up and beheaded John in prison. And that's the end of John's story. John didn't get the miracle that John wanted. John didn't get the miracle that we probably think John deserved. And that messes with us. It's not how Christianity is supposed to work. Listen to me. When the miracles happen, when you don't get sick, when, when, when a, a miraculous provision happens, praise God, praise God, praise God. But when it doesn't, Praise God, praise God, praise God. Blessed is the one who doesn't reject me because of what I do for someone else and don't do for them. Blessed is the one who says, I'm gonna hold on to Jesus even when I don't get the miracle that I want. Blessed is the one who holds on to me because God's ways are not ours, our ways. God's ways are so much higher and God's way is not a trouble-free, smooth sailing, never gonna have any issue way. God's way is the way to eternal Life. See, Jesus does not offer a trouble-free life. He offers a narrow path that leads to life. And walking that narrow path sometimes means bumps and bruises and hurts and pains and disappointments and letdowns and things that we say, God, you could have, but you didn't. Why didn't you? But if you'll walk that path and hold on to Jesus, you'll find out that God has a purpose through everything in life. See, John didn't get the miracle that he wanted. John didn't get the outcome that he wanted, but God's purpose for John's life still came to pass. Here's what Proverbs tells us. It says, many, 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 many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Many were the plans in John's heart. He had plans for his life. He had hopes, he had dreams. But God's purpose for John's life prevail. Many are the plans that you have for your life. Many are the plans that I have for my life. But God's plan and God's purpose prevails. Many are the plans that I've had for my life, my ministry, my marriage, my family, my kids, how life was going to go, where it was going to take us, how it was all going to play out. I've had plan after plan after plan after plan. And there are times when the, the plan seemed to be going great. And there are other times when the plan seemed to go off the rails. But what I've learned is the more distance that I have from the time when I didn't get things to go the way I want and I can look back, I can see that God's purpose always prevail. 
See, I had a plan, and this is how it was going to work. This is how my life was going to be. This is where I was going to live, work, minister, pastor, all this stuff. This is how my kid's life was going to go. They were going to get married. They were going to have this. They were going to have that. Everything was going to go perfect, and it didn't happen. But I can look back at some of those things that are 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and I could say God's purpose was to get me here. My plan was to be there. Many, many, many are the plans that I have in my heart. But God's purpose prevails. God got me to where I needed to be. And right now, sometimes in life, I look at, at where things are and I go, it's not going according to plan. God says, will you trust my purpose? See, what we need to realize is this, God's purposes are always better than your plans. John would have liked to get out of jail. John would have liked to get out of jail with his head attached. John would have liked to probably end up married and had kids and live to an old age. John would have liked a lot of things. John had a lot of plans. But God's purpose for John's life prevailed. Some of you have had people that you've said goodbye to, loved ones. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost spouses. Some of you have lost dear, close friends, and you prayed and prayed and prayed, and you knew God could heal them. You believed it. You knew you had all the faith in the world. God, you can heal them, and yet he didn't. Some of you are going through hard things right now, weighty things, terrible things, things that, that are threatening to pull you under. It, it just, it's weighing on you. Your spouse has walked out on you. Some of you ha haven't had a meaningful conversation with your children for years. Your kids have rejected you. Some of you are going through financial pain. You've lost your house. You've lost your job. You can't pay your bills. Some of you are dealing with physical issues. You're feel, dealing with emotional or, or mental struggles. And you're saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't understand why you're so silent. I don't understand why you won't answer. And you cry out to God and you say, just, just do something. Just tell me why. Help me to understand this. And that's what we want, isn't it, God? If you'll just tell me the plan, if you'll just explain it to me, if you'll tell me what the purpose is, I can get through it. What we want is understanding. And what God is saying is, I want you to trust. You want understanding, I want you to trust. You want to know why God says, I want you to trust me. And that is so very incredibly difficult because we're looking and saying, but God, you've done it for other people. I've seen you do it. I've seen their marriage restored. They have a great marriage, a great family. The relationship has come back together. I don't understand why you did it for them and you won't do it for me. Help me to understand. And he says, no, just trust me. And we don't like that. I don't like that. I'd much rather God explain it all to me. But God doesn't owe us an explanation. God wants us to grow in trust. Here's what it says in Proverbs. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not trust in your own understanding. Trust in the Lord. God's saying, trust not in your own understanding. Why it didn't happen this way? Why it should have happened this way? Why you didn't do what I wanted you to do? Don't trust in your own understanding because you'll never understand. Trust in me and me alone. Trust in my goodness, my faithfulness, my love, my provision. Trust in me that my purpose is better than your plan. Will you trust me? See, you don't have to like the plan. You don't have to understand the plan. You don't, the plan doesn't even have to make sense to you for you to trust that God's purpose will prevail. 
And that's what he's asking for us to do is trust in him, trust in him, trust in him. Again, there are times when the miracles happen. When they happen, worship Jesus. Please hear me. I believe in that. But when they don't, and when God seems silent, don't let go of him. Because just because he seems silent doesn't mean he's far away. Jesus went through something like this. Right? Jesus knew God's plan and purpose. He was God in the flesh. So he was involved in like creating the plan and the purpose. Before the foundation of the world, he knew that the cross stood before him. And when he acquiesced, when he left the glory and the splendor of heaven and took on the form of sinful humanity, he knew that at the end of his life, what waited for him was death by crucifixion. He knew that. And yet on the night before he was crucified, on the night that he was betrayed, after he spends the time with his closest friends, he goes out, takes a few of them, leaves them off and wanders a little way off by himself. And it's just him and his heavenly father. And he cries out, Father, Father, I know, I know what's waiting for me. And if there's any, 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 any other way, let's, Let's talk about it. Let's, let's figure it out. But God, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God, not my plan, not what I want, but your purpose. What you purposed so that we can bring back into right relationship with us sinful humanity. God, not what I would plan, but what you purpose. Let it happen. And so Jesus endures a beating that nearly kills him. He's whipped, he's beaten, he's mocked, he's made to carry his cross, and then nails are driven through his hands and his feet, and he's hung on a cross naked in front of the eyes of sinful humanity. And shame and condemnation, mocked and ridiculed, and as he's hanging there, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me. God, why right now in the middle of the moment that I need you most do you seem so distant? God, why when I need you to do something miraculous are you silent? See, our faith, Christianity focuses on the death of Jesus and during Jesus' own death God was silent. And when you and I cry out to God in those deep moments when we're afraid, when we're scared, when life is falling apart, when we say, God, I need the miracle now. This is it. The executioner's coming. This is the moment. Do it. And we're met with what seems to be silence. And there are times when God seems to be silent. What I want you to know is this. No matter how silent God is, he's never distant. God is never, 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 never distant. He may be quiet, He may whisper. He may just put his arm around you. But he's never distant. So King David, the great David from the Old Testament, the David who slew Goliath and became the greatest king in Israel's history, the David who was a poet and an artist and he wrote amazing songs, he penned what is one of the greatest poems in human history, the 23rd Psalm. And in there, what we call Psalm 23, verse 4, he writes this. Even... 
when I walk through the darkest valleys, even when I go through those heartbreaking, anguishing times when it's so dark, it's as dark as death, when I go through those moments when I need something and I just feel alone because it's so dark, I can't see anyone, I can't hear anyone, when I am so torn up inside, that life is falling apart, he left me, she left me, they lied, I'm broke, I can't pay my bills, in those darkest valley moments, And they happen. It's not a a one-time moment. It's those moments in those dark valleys. I will not be afraid. Why? Because you are close beside me. That is the great hope that we have. God is never distant. He is close beside you. So what does that tell us? It tells us we can never interpret the Bible through our circumstances. We have to look at our circumstances, our experiences, what we're going through, through the lens of Scripture. I don't feel God's close. God is close by. God seems distant. God is closer than a brother. I don't know where God is. God is with you. But God didn't do what I wanted him to do. He didn't do what I expected him to do. Why didn't he get me out of this situation? Why didn't he bring them back? Why didn't he heal them? Why didn't he change the situation. I've prayed. I've fasted. I've prayed some more. I've gotten everyone I know to pray. But the pain is still there. The migraines still persist. The anxiety is still racking my mind. I'm still not able to get pregnant. I've done everything I know how to do. God hasn't answered but he's close beside you. He will walk with you through the darkest, deepest valleys. That's what we need to hold on to. Listen, when God does the miracles, worship him. In just a moment, we're gonna sing a song that declares the miracle working power of God. We're gonna pray and believe God for miracles. Then we're gonna sing a song that talks about the nearness, the closeness of God. Because when the miracle doesn't happen, that's when we need to say God is still close. He's closer than the very air that I breathe. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now. God, I'm asking that you would do a great work in our hearts. There may be someone here right now, someone watching online. Maybe it's someone we know, a friend, a child, a spouse, a parent. Who God, they they were expecting you to do something to move in a certain way, to respond, to heal, to do a miracle, to do a sign, to do a wonder, to restore. And you didn't do it. And as a result, they've rejected you and they've walked away. But God, if that's someone here today, it's not by accident that they're here today because you're calling them back, you're calling them back, you're calling them back. Jesus, you said, the man has a hundred sheep and one wanders away. He'll leave the 99 to go after the one. God, there's those moments when you're going after the one that's wandered away. And that's this moment. So God, I'm praying if we've wandered away, if we know someone that's wandered away, would you, by your Holy Spirit, by your grace, bring us back, bring us back, bring them back. God, I'm also asking that you would strengthen our faith in you, our trust in you. Not our own understanding, not our plans, but God, your purpose, because your purpose is always better than our plans. So I'm asking you to move in a supernatural way. Right now, if you're in this place and you're going through something, something heavy, something difficult, something something that's just tearing you up, 
and you don't understand why God hasn't, and he seems distant, and he seems quiet, and you need God to move in a supernatural way. If, that you, if that's you right now where you are, just raise your hand. I want to pray. I just want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, I'm asking that you would move powerfully, that you would do miracles. You do miracles in finances. Those that are uh, just stretched to the brink, they're stressed out. They don't know how to pay their bills. They don't know if they can pay their bills. God, move financially in a miraculous way. Provide jobs, provide uh, uh, promotion, provide advancement. God, I'm praying for relational miracles, marriages that are hanging by a thread. God, would you do a supernatural work in the hearts of husbands and wives? God, that they would lay down the, the, their, their fists. They would stop fighting, not physically, but they would just stop fighting. Start working together. They'd come out from being defensive and start realizing they're on the same team. God, I pray for relational miracles between parents and children between brothers and sisters, between friends, friendships that have been damaged almost beyond repair because of something that looking back seems so insignificant. God, would you do something great? I'm praying for emotional miracles. God, people that are dealing with emotional needs. Uh, God, do stuff in, uh, miracles in our minds. God, do miracles in our bodies, physical healing. God, I'm asking you to do something great. Do something miraculous. God, if you do, we'll give you the glory, the honor, and the praise. And if you don't, we're going to trust your purpose above our plan. So I'm going to ask right now, if you'd stand to your feet, we're going to sing this song. We're going to declare God's miracle working power. And if you would say, I need a miracle in my life. Oh, I need God to do something right here, right now. Then as we sing this song, I'm going to invite you to just step forward Take a step of faith, exercise your faith, and let someone pray with you right here, right now, believing God's gonna do something. When this song is done, then I'm gonna invite you to just spend some time with the closeness, the nearness, in the presence of God. But during this song, if you need prayer, if you need a miracle, if you need someone to just come alongside you and say, I'm believing God to do something great, to heal, to restore, to provide. Let someone pray with you and for you here this morning.